0: Hey church family, so good to be with you again today on the Sunday morning. Good to worship with you again. Just a reminder that we have began or have begun to, got my English wrong, have begun to meet together at the church building, not inside, but we're meeting outside in the back church parking lot uh, underneath the shade tree, so don't worry if you're worried about sitting in the, uh, in the sun. Everybody's been able to sit in the shade, so we've just enjoyed being able to to get together and worship together and hope that you'll come join us at some point, but we also know that not everyone is is quite there yet. Not not everyone is quite comfortable with that yet, and so we're we're just glad, no matter if you're joining us in person or online, we are just so glad and thrilled uh, that you have joined us to worship with us together and to share in the blessings that God has given us and to honor Him and praise him today. I heard a story about a father and a son who were sitting around the table sitting at the table one morning uh, eating breakfast and the son was about to head off to school the dad was about to head off to work and usually the son would walk to school because it was just around the corner and and up the street but this morning he just didn't want to walk to school and so he asked his dad if he would take him. And, and the dad said, well, son, it's, it's just around the corner. It's really not far. You walk to school every day. You know, it's just down the street. And I, I really got a lot to do at work. I got to get there early. <clears throat> I, got, I got to get some stuff done. And besides, it's in the opposite direction. You're going that way. I'm going this way. But the son just would not take no for an answer. And he kept ba- begging his dad and begging his dad. And finally, the dad had just had enough. And he said, son, I am not taking you to school. And quite frankly, you should be ashamed of yourself for even asking. I'll have you know that when Abraham Lincoln was your age, he walked to school every day 10 miles. And quickly the son snapped right back and he said, Dad, when Abraham Lincoln was your age, he was president. (laughs) Now it may not work out all too well when we try to tell someone what they ought to be ashamed of, but I think there is something to be said for encouraging each other when it comes to what we ought not to be ashamed of. And so today, coming off the heels of our Going Viral series that we ended last week, wrapped up last week, and really in many ways flowing out of that series, today we're going to begin a new series entitled Unashamed. And really it comes out of the words, it flows out of the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 when he says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. There is so much powerful stuff condensed in these two verses, which is why we're going to spend several weeks really diving in and soaking in on the all the realities of what paul is talking about here in these verses in romans chapter one but at the very onset of this passage the fact that paul begins by simply telling us i am not ashamed ought to tell us something right there that there were forces at work in his life that were telling him that he ought to be ashamed i mean after all there's no sense in declaring that you're not ashamed of something unless you've been tempted to be ashamed of it, or unless you're in an environment that's telling you or making you feel like you should be ashamed of it. But it also tells us that Paul realizes, not only for himself, but also for each of us, that there will be times when we will be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. And we're gonna explore that over the next several weeks because I think that, that, that what he has to tell us, and I think what we're gonna find is that some of what the same things that he's dealing with are really some of the same things that, that you and I deal with in our culture, in our American culture today. I think it's also worth mentioning that Jesus himself knew that there would be a temptation to be ashamed of him and his gospel. In Luke chapter 9, verse 26, Jesus said this, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. And throughout the New Testament, this temptation of being ashamed is addressed. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says, I eagerly expect and hope, what does he hope? That I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or or death. He says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner. And Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. And so the fact that there's so much encouragement, not only from Jesus, but really from all of the New Testament ought to tell us something, to to not be ashamed. It encourages us to not be ashamed. That ought to tell us something, that as believers and as followers of Jesus, there will be times when we will be tempted to be ashamed of him and of his gospel. Now, next week, we're gonna talk a little bit more, dive into a little bit more about what that word gospel means, because I think it's important to really nail down what that means. But today, I just wanna focus in on that idea of, of shame and dealing with the temptation of being ashamed of Jesus In our culture, because when you and I are ashamed of Him, ashamed of the gospel, that can be a powerful deterrent from us sharing the good news with others about Him. And us sharing the good news with others about Him and His gospel is kind of an integral part of helping others come to faith in Him. Paul says this in Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 12 For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now listen to this part. How then can they call on the name of the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? The fact is they can't, they don't. They don't hear without someone preaching to them, without someone sharing it with them. Now, when you hear that word preach, don't think of it so narrowly that you only think of, of a preacher sitting on a stool on stage or preaching from behind a pulpit or standing on stage or, or along those lines. The fact is you can preach, you can declare in the context of a one-on-one, one-on-one relationship just by sharing Jesus with them, just by putting in a good word for Jesus and, and moving it to the center of your conversations, moving him to the center of your conversations. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, well, you know what? Pretty much everybody in my sphere of influence already has heard the gospel of Jesus. But I would even challenge you to think more deeply than that in many ways. Because did you know that research shows just among first-generation adult believers who've given their life to Jesus Christ, that they have heard the gospel as many as 35 to 40 times, sometimes even more than that, before they responded to it. There are a lot of people who know the facts, but their heart is yet to be swept up in the reality of the story. Others of us might think, well, you know, I get that. I understand that. But I'm not even sure I know the whole story when it comes to Jesus and that I've come to grips with with everything that he's done. How am I supposed to share and, and answer all their questions and explain everything to someone else? To which I would say, join the club. If you read through the Gospels, you see that Jesus worked powerfully in the lives of his disciples, of his followers, even his closest followers, the apostles, worked powerfully through them in the lives of others. And yet there are so many times when even even his closest disciples completely miss the boat when it comes to what Jesus is all about and what he came to do. And Paul writes his letters primarily to believers who've given their lives to Jesus Christ. They've already given their lives to him. And yet they're still growing and learning how to come to a a fuller understanding of who Jesus is. But regardless of where we are in that growth process, we're all called at some level to proclaim, to testify, to preach, to declare, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. And yet, truth be told, we've all had moments in our lives when for one reason or another, we didn't share. We didn't proclaim. Because truth be told, we were ashamed. And again, there's so much that Paul has to say to us, even within these two little verses. And we'll dive into a lot of that over the next couple of weeks, several weeks. But today, I just want to focus in on on a couple of fundamental aspects when it comes to what we need to understand uh, to to overcome the, the temptation to be ashamed of Jesus and his gospel and our willingness to share it. And the first is this, unashamed has something to do with being more concerned with what others have to gain than what we have to lose. We have to be more concerned with what others have to gain than what we have to lose. Paul says something very interesting in the verses right before what we read earlier in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Listen to what he says in verses 14 and 15 of Romans chapter 1. He says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. Then he goes on to say, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul uses that word obligated. He says, I'm obligated to share the gospel with them. In fact, in the Greek, the actual word is debtor. I, I'm a debtor to them. In other words, he says, I, I'm in debt to them. I owe it to them to share the gospel with them. So you might ask, well, how exactly is Paul obligated to them? How does he owe it to them? Well, there's a couple of ways, and these aren't gonna be you know, exact examples, let me just try and paint the picture for you. There's a couple of ways that, that I can be indebted to you. One is that I could borrow some amount of money from you, and from, and then from that point on, I would owe you that money. I would owe you that amount of money until the point that I paid you back. So I borrow money from you. I owe you that money until I pay you that money back. I would be in debt to you, right? But that's not really what Paul is saying. That's one way of thinking about it, but that's not really what Paul is saying. There's another way, though, that that I can be in debt to you. For instance, let's say that, that you give me an amount of money to give to someone else let's just say I'm going on a trip somewhere, or maybe I'm just going out of town or somewhere even in town. And so I tell you, I'm going to see someone, going to visit someone. And you say, oh, can you give them some money for me? And so you give me an amount of money for me to give to them. You are entrusting me with that money to give to that person. But let's just say that that money never makes it to that person because I go to Cabela's or I go to some golf store and I blow it all on me. That person never sees a dime of that money. But here's the deal though. I still owe that money to that person. It's been handed by you, by you to me to give to that person. And until I give it to that person, I will continue to be obligated to that person. I got to find the money to replace what I was supposed to give to that person. Now, over and over again and again in his writings in the New Testament, Paul will speak of us being entrusted, of him being entrusted even, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The idea being that the gospel isn't meant to stop with me, but it's meant to flow through me. The Father, think about it this way, the Father has entrusted you and me to pass on to others, something on to others, the gospel on to others, those who are living far away from him or away from him for one reason or another. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and listen to this part, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Here's the deal. You can't be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ without also getting the ministry of reconciliation to others. It can't be done. If you've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, then you've been given the ministry, the responsibility of sharing the message of Jesus Christ with others so that they can be reconciled to God. The message isn't meant to stop with you, it's meant to flow through you and so just like paul we have an obligation we owe it to others whether they realize what god has done for them and how much he loves them or not we owe it to them to share it with them because we know what god has done for us about 20 or so years ago mercedes developed a car body that was designed to absorb the impact of a collision of 60 miles an hour or more, to absorb that impact by as much as 50% or more. But they decided not to put a patent on it and, in fact, invited other companies to come in and copy their design. Of course, they made a commercial talking about how great they were and how they didn't put a patent on it. But the closing tagline of the commercial, I I think, is, is so good and so pertinent for us. Here's what it said, that closing tagline of the commercial, because some things in life are too important not to share. Because some things in life are too important not to share. Now let's go even bigger than that. Take it even further than that. If the gospel really is what Paul says it is, if it's really the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, then that implies that everyone who is yet to believe is not in good shape. You know, certainly all of the focus lately in our world and in our country has been on the coronavirus pandemic. I mean, it's all over the news. It's been over the news. It's, anything, it's the only thing anyone ever talks about, right? But an even more pressing issue than that is that there, are, there is a world full of people who are spiritually sick and dying. And I don't want to diminish the reality of what's happening in the midst of this corona pandemic, but the reality is there's an even more pressing need because there are people who are spiritually sick and dying in our world all around us, whether they realize it or not. And you and I and other believers in this world have something that they need. And our father has entrusted us with something to share with others who are a long way off from him. And don't you think we owe it to them to try and share it with them? Because what they have to gain far outweighs anything that we have to lose. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the names Penn and Teller. I have told you this story before, but they are a comedy and magic act. They're a really good act. They're pretty clever, pretty funny. But specifically for the context of our story, Penn is a noted atheist, one of the, the guys, Penn, the Penn and Teller. He is a noted and, and outspoken atheist. And several years ago, Penn posted a video in his blog telling the story of an exchange that he had after one of his shows with this Christian man who attempted to share the message of Jesus Christ with him. And Penn in this video speaks very highly of the man. He talks about how complimentary he was, tells about how the guy handed him a Bible and and simply wanted to just reach out and share Jesus with him. He wasn't crazy. He wasn't insane. He just wanted to share Jesus with Penn. He just happened to be sharing Jesus with a pretty famous person. But again, Penn spoke very highly of this man. In fact, in the video, Penn talks about how wonderful it was what this man did. But here's what I want to share with you about what Penn says about this guy. And again, Penn, this noted atheist, outspoken even, atheist, said these words. He said, I've always said that I don't respect someone who doesn't share what they believe. If you believe that there is a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them because it would make things socially awkward, How much do you have to hate somebody not to share that with them? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believe that a truck was coming at you, even if you don't believe it, there's a certain point where I would just tackle you. I love that. And this is more important than that. And this guy, he was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to share that with me and to give me a Bible. Penn goes on to say, now I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. But I'll tell you what, that was a really, really good man who gave me that book. Now Penn may have said that he doesn't believe that there is a God, that he knows there is no God, and He may not be very receptive to the message, although he can't uproot that seed that's been sown in his life. But did he not say a mouthful when he said, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them a message that can make a difference in everlasting life? Even Penn understands that if it's true and if you believe it, you owe it to the world to share it with them. We owe it to our family, to our friends, to those we work with, to our neighbors. We owe it to those in our relationships and in our sphere of influence. We're not called to make them accept it. We're not called to force it down their throats. We're in sales, not management, but we're simply called to share it. And let me tell you, it's the cure for the virus of the soul. We can talk about earthly viruses all day long, but the gospel is the cure for the virus of the soul. And I'll tell you this, the deeper I get into the gospel of Jesus Christ, the more I come to realize that it's the cure for pretty much everything that ails us in our world. There's a book that was written several years ago by a guy named Erwin Lutzer. It's called When, when a Nation Forgets God. And In the book, he recounts the story of life and religion in 1930s Germany and how the church really lost its way during that time. And really in the book, he draws a lot of similarities between then and our American culture now. But in particular, one of the things that he talks about about 1930s Germany is how one of Hitler's strategies when he was in power was to forbid the church from interfering in anything he deemed to be government matters or what he called temporal matters. And he believed that the the German people would actually be better off living as though life were divided into two spheres. And so he basically said, you can think of Jesus as Lord of your your church sphere. That's okay. You can think of him in in, in that little, little box, okay? But in everything else, you need to think of the Kaiser, specifically Hitler himself, as Lord of everything else. And so Hitler met with thousands of church leaders to to enforce this doctrine. He basically told them, You confine yourselves, you need to confine yourselves to the matters of the church, okay? You can do that. But in everything else, I'll take care of everything else. Everything else that deals with the German people, I'll, I'll take care of it. Well, as kind of a side note, although it's not really a side note, but a cool little antidote to this, a couple of German theologians and church leaders by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and, uh, and Martin Niemöller responded by saying, you say that you'll take care of the German people, but we too have a responsibility to the German people, an obligation to them that has been entrusted to us. They've been reading Paul, obviously, and not by, that has been entrusted to us by God and not you nor anyone else in the world has the power to take it from us. They knew that they owed it to the German people and to the world around them. Sadly, though, in the end, most of the German church leaders went the way of Hitler's strong suggestions, and Lutzer in his book included this eyewitness account from a believer living in Germany during that time. Listen to what the man says. He said, I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust, and I considered myself a Christian. We heard stories of what was happening to Jews we tried to distance ourselves from it because what could we do to stop it? A railroad track ran behind our small church, and each Sunday morning we would hear the whistle in the distance and then the wheels coming over the tracks. We, came, we became disturbed when we heard the cries coming from the train as it passed, and we realized that it was carrying Jews like cattle in the cars. Week after week, the whistle would blow. We dreaded to hear the sound of those wheels because we knew we would hear the cries of those Jews en route to a death camp. Their screams tormented us. We knew the the time the train was coming, and when we heard the whistle blow, we began singing hymns. By the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. And if we heard the screams, we sang louder and pretty, much, and pretty soon we heard them no more. Although years have passed, I can still hear the train whistle in my sleep. God forgive me, forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians and yet did nothing to intervene. I think about that story and I can't help but think if we in a sense aren't facing a similar challenge today because I think there are times in our lives as believers when we're quite comfortable with a doctrine of two spheres. We're quite comfortable with Jesus being Lord of some of our life, but not all of it. We're quite comfortable with being much more public about our faith within church walls or in church gatherings where Jesus is Lord than we are outside church walls and church gatherings where there are other Lords. And in the meantime, There are people all around us on a path to destruction. And I suppose one of the questions for us as believers is this, are we just going to settle for singing louder within church walls and in church gatherings? Or are we gonna do something that transcends singing louder and seek to have Jesus move more and more to the center of our lives and our conversations with those around us. Now, I'm not knocking, singing louder within church walls or in church gatherings because a lot of times our praise and our worship, it can be be evangelistic in and of itself. But are we just gonna settle for that? Are we going to do something that transcends these walls and these gatherings and seek to have Jesus move more and more to the center of our lives, to move more and more to the center of our conversations with those that we're in relationship with because they have so much more to gain than we have to lose. And then lastly, and I'll close with this, there's one more thing that being unashamed has to do with, and it's this. Unashamed has to do with has something to do with understanding that Jesus was not ashamed of us. I hope you never forget that Jesus was not ashamed of you, but that he was crucified for you, taking on the shame of your sin and my sin and embracing the full humiliation of the cross for you and for me. None of us know what it is to deal with shame like Jesus dealt with shame because he faced the shame of the cross, the shame that was due us for you and for me. And he's gone public for you and for me. And that's why there's a call for you and me to go public for him because we owe it to the world to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ.